Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This episode covering the business week ended 10th February 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Merck remains confident in Tidjit, Otesla and Sotik to battle for share in psoriasis, GSK chief warns about worsening UK pharma sector, China plans to ban gene editing technology exports, and an interview with Boehringer Ingelheim's head of human pharma regions. Investors and stakeholders across the industry are keeping a close eye on a potential cancer drug target, TIGIT, or T-I-G-I-T, that could be effective in combination with PD-1-L1 drugs. Several drug makers are investing in the class of products which are in late-stage clinical testing, but the first Phase 3 data readout in the class from Roche last year was disappointing, raising uncertainty about how other data readouts will play out, Jessica Merrill writes. Merck, which is developing an anti-digit drug Vibostolimab, reiterated its continued enthusiasm for the class during its fourth quarter sales and earnings call on 2nd February. Merck is particularly interested in Vibostolimab co-formulated in combination with its blockbuster PD-1 inhibitor, Keytruda. We are very confident in our molecule, Merck Research Laboratories President Dean Lee said when asked about the company's commitment to the class by an analyst. Merck has nine clinical trials ongoing studying Vibostolimab, including five phase three studies, he noted, notably several in lung cancer. Roche is another company in late-stage digit development with tiragolimab in combination with the PD-L1 inhibitor T-Centric, along with Gilead Sciences and Arcus Biosciences with Domvanilimab. Uncertainty about the class of drugs increased, however, last year when Roche reported that its Skyscraper 1 study of tiragolimab with T-Centric in non-small cell lung cancer did not meet the progression-free survival endpoint in the first interim analysis. That trial is still continuing, however, and Roche remains hopeful it will meet the other more important primary endpoint of overall survival. The data are expected later this year, and investors are keeping a close eye on the status of the study. During Roche's fourth quarter sales and earnings call, CEO Severin Chuan outlined the expected timeline and said management had seen no additional data yet. Another interim analysis is expected in February, and the final readout is expected in the second half of the year. From all what we know today, the most likely scenario is that the study will continue until the final readout in the second half, so we think this is about six months later, he said. There is, of course, as always with an interim study, a possibility that we either get a positive or a negative result. If that should be the case, then we will immediately communicate that result to the outside. However, the company is not planning to make an announcement if the study is simply continuing. Amgen's Otesla was the only branded oral drug available for use in psoriasis patients after topical medicines, but before biologics for the inflammatory skin condition, until Bristol-Myers Squibb's Sotictu entered the field with US FDA approval in September. Now the companies have their first full quarter of combat behind them, and management's comments show where each has taken hits in the battle for market share. Mandy Daxon writes that Amgen's EVP of Global Commercial Operations, Murdo Gordon, said during the company's 31st January fourth quarter sales and earnings call 
that Amgen remains confident in a Tesla's sales growth, especially with FDA approval for mild to moderate psoriasis. Meanwhile, BMS Chief Commercialization Officer Christopher Berner offered assurances during the company's 2nd February earnings call that Sotik2 is rapidly gaining market share and making the case for broader reimbursement in 2024. BMS almost added a Tesla to its own portfolio when it acquired Celgene, but before the companies were able to complete their merger in late 2019, Bristol and Celgene had to divest either Otesla or Sotiktu to appease US anti-competitive concerns. Amgen then stepped in to buy Otesla. By holding on to Sotiktu rather than Otesla, BMS kept its focus in psoriasis on a product with more years of remaining patent life and with a greater number of potential indications, which the company has said could generate more than $4 billion in annual revenue by 2029. Credit Suisse analysts expect Otesla, meanwhile, to peak at $2.6 billion in 2027, dropping to $2 billion in 2028 and $1 billion in 2029 as generics hit the market. Bristol has made it clear that it aims to make the first-to-market TYK2 inhibitor the oral drug of choice in the post-topical, pre-biologic segment of the psoriasis market, besting Otesla despite Sotik2's labelling only for moderate to severe psoriasis. Amgen gained a mild to moderate indication in December 2021, making Otesla available to treat psoriasis regardless of severity. That expanded indication, CEO Roberts Bradway noted during Amgen's Q4 call, contributed to 7% volume growth for a Tesla in the fourth quarter and throughout 2022. Sales increased 2% for the full year to $2.29 billion. While BMS reported Q4 Sotik2 sales of $7 million, below analyst expectations of $13 million, That was due to the company's ongoing focus on driving volume uptake through the use of a free drug program in order to gain a better formulary position in 2024, William Blair's Matt Phipps said in a 2nd February note. Amgen is watching the short-term impact of free drug programs associated with new psoriasis product launches, Gordon said, and we are making sure that we continue to be competitive in the marketplace. GSK's CEO, Dame Emma Wormsley, has issued a strongly worded warning that the UK has become a far less attractive environment for the pharma industry and cautioned that it could hit a tipping point if a number of factors are not addressed. Andrew McConaughey writes that the comments from Wormsley were made during GSK's full-year results presentation on 1st February and came against a background of growing frustration from the sector most especially in relation to the UK Voluntary Drug Pricing Agreement, where the government has recently steeply increased its clawback of revenues from 15% to 26.5%. The Voluntary Scheme for Branded Medicines Pricing and Access, first agreed in 2019, caps the level of National Health Service medicine spending, allowing a growth rate of 2% a year, with the industry returning any overspend via the clawback mechanism. Last December, the government shocked the sector when it raised the clawback rate for 2023 to 26.5%, with the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry claiming it's more than double that of any comparable country. 
The increase means companies will have to repay a total of almost £3.3 billion, or $4.04 billion, in sales revenue in 2023 versus £1.8 billion in 2022. The move has already prompted two companies, Eli Lilly and Abvi, to exit the VPAS in protest and sparked calls from the ABPI for a government rethink. During the GSK earnings call, Wormsley did not confine her complaints to the pricing scheme, but also raised again the persistent complaint that the UK is slow in adopting new medicines compared with other major markets. She went on to raise two further worrying trends for the industry, a steep decline in the number of clinical trials being conducted in the UK in the 2017-21 to period, and a lack of capacity at the UK medicines regulator, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. We are at something of a tipping point if we don't make the right decisions now, Wormsley warned, raising fears that GSK and the wider sector could choose to invest in other locations. Figures from the ABPI show the number of industry-sponsored clinical trials in the UK per year fell by 41% in the five-year period to 2021. China's Ministry of Commerce issued in January its draft catalogue of banned technology for export, in which Beijing added seven new items, including gene editing techniques such as CRISPR. This was defined as including stem cell cloning such as nucleus extraction, withdrawal and transfer, embryotic cell transplant and cell activation enzyme technology. The gene editing ban also includes ZFN and Talon technology, Brian Yang writes. Despite China not holding a leading global position in gene editing, the ban indicates Beijing's intention of becoming a frontrunner in the revolutionary technology, which has wide potential applications. Although the country is a latecomer to the gene editing race, researchers have been catching up quickly and were first in the world to use CRISPR-Cas9 on non-viable embryos to modify genes causing beta thalassemia. But a professor at the China Southern Institute of Technology in Shenzhen then shocked the world in 2018 by conducting the world's first publicly disclosed gene editing modifications to human embryos, after which China's Ministry of Science and Technology banned the use of gene editing in humans, including embryos. On the corporate side, China has a growing gene editing sector led by Edigene and BRL Medicine, which are both devoted to rare disease treatments. Beijing-based Edigene raised $100 million in funding and has entered its beta-thalassemia treatment into clinical studies after obtaining Chinese IND approval. The company told Scrip, however, that it would not comment on the planned new China export ban given the proposal is still under official review. BRL Medicine has also obtained IND clearance to study its candidate, BRL 101, for beta-thalassemia in China, making it the second gene therapy targeting the sickle cell disease. More prevalent in the country, however, is investigated-initiated research in which physicians conduct experiments with patients who need treatment. Many companies also use such studies to quickly gather clinical data to support a regulatory filing. But any export on gene editing technology might mean such therapies would be largely limited to the Chinese domestic market and discourage cross-border collaboration and deals.
China's biosecurity law already specifically bans the export of materials containing human genetic material, essentially putting gene and gene editing research off-limit to foreign entities in China. The latest proposal would also serve to clip domestic researchers' wings, potentially, and also their ambitions to move beyond China, putting those in the field in a delicate position. The question would be how can cutting-edge, first-in-class research be conducted without stepping over the red line of unethically abusing technology to attract attention and personal gain? Scientists found to have crossed the line could be sentenced to three to ten years in prison. Finally, Boehringer Ingelheim's head of human pharma regions, Timo Rosku Andersen, speaks about his life and professional journey, including distinct parallels between sports and business leadership against the backdrop of the wider commercialization efforts for blockbuster therapy Jardiance and drawing parallels and learnings from his early days as a top-notch national volleyball player. Anderson brought with him a set of traits that are perhaps vital for any sports or business team. Along with courage, discipline and a can-do attitude, young Anderson was able to release the talent of others, allowing them to flourish even if at times they were older teammates. Andrew Gangerdi writes in the wide-ranging interview. I saw early on that especially natural talent is under intense pressure, not only by the environment, but also on account of their own expectations from themselves, Anderson said. My role in diffusing their pressure helped them focus on the game and deliver. Subsequent successes gave them the confidence to continue their winning streak, the B.I. long-timer said. Business situations, especially game-changing ones, often tend to similarly demand a mix of those who can deliver at a totally different level compared to peers and leadership that can funnel that kind of special talent effectively. Anderson will likely be dipping into some of his skills in the latter domain to galvanise the BI team as it charts new territories for the Eli Lilly-partnered blockbuster Jardiance, which now has key new data in chronic kidney disease. The executive reiterated BI's intent to move forward, wide, broad, fast and strong in the area of CKD, given the SGLT2 inhibitor's potential to improve the lives of millions of patients. Drawing on sports analogies, he also talks about the difference between growing and scaling, and that you have to know when you train to grow and develop new skills, and when you train to refine and automatise skills. Often, we mix things up and fail to make individuals and teams realise their potential, Anderson observed. He also touches on the role of technology, sharing personal experiences and insights, including the influence of upbringing and family on his business life. Do check out what is a fascinating and entertaining interview in full. It's a great read. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. All these articles in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and are just a part of Scripps' global coverage last week. Log in to access all of our content or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Also a note that we have just launched the Sightline Pharma Intelligence Japan Awards for 2023 and that a free access article is available on the Scripps and Pink Sheet websites 
with all of the details and links to the dedicated English and Japanese sites for the event. Thank you and bye for now.